Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. As we gear up for award season, there's no better time to join us. By becoming a Vanity Fair subscriber, you'll gain exclusive access to our in-depth coverage of film, television, and the best of Hollywood. And that's just the beginning. Vanity Fair takes you inside the worlds of entertainment, culture, politics, and scandal, bringing you iconic images, era-defining stories, and much more. Get 15% off a year of digital access to Vanity Fair by visiting VanityFair.com and using promo code POD15 at checkout. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a full year of insights and exclusive digital access. Subscribe now. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I am here on this Golden Globes nominations morning with our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, Katie. And our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. It's early. Hello, Katie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Richard Lawson is on vacation today, uh, but as I tweeted, I believe he is just up in his day off in upstate New York weeping about cats, which was snubbed in the Golden Globe nominations today. So everyone uh, pour one out for Richard, who's having a, a tough day. It got one, didn't it? Got it, did. it got yeah. it got the song nomination, which um, that is a, that is one weird category of many uh, that we can get into. It's early, as Joanna said. We're still kind of processing all the nominations, but we wanted to get together to talk about them. Um, maybe just you guys want to go around and just pick out what you thought the big standout was, either in terms of what did get nominated or what didn't. Maybe it's unfair for me to steal this from you, Katie, but I was excited to see uh, all the two popes uh, representation <laughs> on the list here. I did not so. make the two popes. I give no credit for its <laughs> success. Uh, I was I mean, also excited. Take that victory. Put on your red popes slippers that Netflix <laughs> sent out and do a victory lap around your house. Why not? I'm, I'm taking, wearing them as we speak. I, I think you know I'm taking the Taryn Edgerton nomination as a victory lap for myself with my like <laughs> sparkly jumpsuit that obviously I own. So, you know, do it. Do what you can bring. Brings you joy this Golden Globe morning. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, um, Mike was saying um, before we started recording, I don't remember, in an email somewhere about the Netflix presence here. What do you what do you want to say about that, Mike? Well, yeah, I mean, that's really kind of a huge standout, right? First of all, the the film with the most nominations is Marriage Story with six. And then four of the 10, you know, best motion picture nominations, if you include the drama, five for drama, five for comedy musical, um, go to Netflix. Three of them wow. in drama, uh, which is the kind of, you know, the sort of best picture, the usual best picture stand in, although Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is in that comedy musical um, category. But that's a lot of nominations. I, I, I do think that Netflix had an incredible year. I mean, I think that that's probably the main takeaway. These are all really good movies. Um, the Irishman, Marriage Story, Dolomite is My Name, and The Two Popes. That's a lot of brain space. That's 40% of the Best Picture nominees. 
can I can I share something anecdotal that that um, that is making me very uh, kindly predisposed towards Netflix this morning, which is um, my cousins came over last night to do some like holiday baking at my house, and my cousins have never like they watch some movies, but they've never been interested in the same level that like my sister and I are. And one of my cousins shows up, and she's like she's a like a new mom, she's like severely checked out of everything. She's like. And hold on, Netflix publicist, it gets better. I promise this is going to start rough and it's going to get really good. She comes in and she goes, I watched an awful movie last night. And I was like, well, what? And she was like, oh, this thing with Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson. I was like, oh, Mary Story. She's like, yeah, awful. And I was so, so surprised that she watched Mary Story at all. And I was like, oh, well, tell me why you thought it was awful. And then we talked for like an hour about this movie. And by the end, she's like, well, like, actually, it was really good. I was like, yeah, it has like, oh, you know, like we had this great conversation about Mary Story, which I never would have guessed this particular cousin of mine would ever see. And she just watched it because Netflix served it to her with like, you know, she's home with her kid and her husband on the couch. And she, they're, she's just like, oh, Scarlett Johansson. Okay, I'll watch this ScarJo movie. And then she watched Mary story and then at the end she's like I'm really glad I watched it so we could have this conversation about it I was like me too and um I, I was just like I sometimes I I take little swings at Netflix for like I don't know encouraging people not to go to the movie theater but I swear to you my cousin never would have gone to the movie theater to watch Mary's story and she watched it opening weekend so great stuff you know a triumph uh, for cinema for cinema. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the movies. Yeah. So there you go. Um, yeah. The marriage cool. story uh, discourse and gifts over the weekend in the same way that the Irishman was kind of dominating Thanksgiving weekend. Like it, uh, it's so hard. I mean, I think we've all kind of wrestled with ourselves about like what Netflix is doing in terms of like distribution where they're spending all this money on stuff and no one else can and then not seeing things in theaters. But seeing people talk about these movies in this way, even in the form of gifts, they're talking about it. They're engaged with it and they're thinking about it. And it's really it's just nice to see. You want us over Netflix, at least in this way. <laughs> at least today. Um, there's, uh, there's something uh, I do want to talk about uh, the morning show really quickly. This is the Apple TV, uh, ser- Jen Aniston, uh, Reese Witherspoon series. This show feels tailor-made for the Golden Globes, right? This is like a very star power heavy show that a lot of critics and audiences, frankly, were kind of like, eh, no, thank you. And the, <laughs> the, issue, and the Hollywood Ford Press Association is like, yes, please morning show so you know that it's like the tourist of tv shows is how no, i feel well, about I, think, I disagree <laughs> i think that okay. the morning show is very good and that people have come around to it i mean emily nussbaum was talking about how great it is even if she's like guilty pleasure right i mean this 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 is not a bad show no it's not a bad show you're right it's not the tourist but it's, it's like it's not it has edged out i think space for some other shows that are a, a little bit better I will just say that. And and I think that haven't we seen over the years that like star power is very attractive to the Globes. They love a, a starry lead, right? I, I do think it's very interesting. You mentioned Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver, let's not forget, is, you know, one of the stars of Star Wars. Um, yeah. Like one of the things that these platforms are doing now is saying, hey, how can I pair up a prestige director, a really good script um, with some major, major stars who have, uh, you know, big franchise tentpole traction uh, so that people do watch the damn thing when it when I serve it up right. to them, you know. Um, and, and so there is a kind of a whole new star at the same time that the sort of idea of a movie star is maybe diminishing a little bit as far as getting butts and seats. It's shifted over in some ways to the streaming platforms now. 
Do you guys want to go back to movies for a second before we? Yes. Yeah, because yeah, we have the. I, we, was, we did our predictions last week, and we only did movies because I find the TV so impossible to predict. Um, which honestly wasn't as weird as it usually is. But we'll get there. Um, but in terms of movies, like. We, uh, we have our stumps and surprises piece up now. Um, Mike, you were p- pointing out the thing about Netflix. I feel like Little Women, which we talked about last week, is maybe the biggest snub overall. Like, it's it got a nomination for Saoirse Ronan, but nothing else. And that's the title that I expected to see the most that was the most absent. Yeah. I, I think, honestly, I think Richard Lawson's review, our co-host Richard Lawson, nailed one of the issues for this and especially you know maybe with an international audience it's even more of an issue which is if you're not already a big little women fan the movie you know has this, is slightly weirdly paced and it's a little hard to follow and I think so that's right. yeah. um so i wonder if for non-american audiences if they were just like uh, i don't know about this one it's it just doesn't you know it, it it seems to function more as an illustration of something that you already love rather than a movie that's going to take you from beginning to end and that you know that's an interesting choice for a director but i wonder if that's if that's why it didn't really land as much with this group i think that's right i think it does presume knowledge uh in a way that you can't always presume even with something like little women so um i was looking up the fate of the previous little women adaptation that opened in 1994 it got three oscar nominations but nothing from the golden Globes. so maybe history is going to repeat itself and little <laughs> women will pick it back up at the oscars well the 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 larger um narrative outside the little women snub is the fact that no women were nominated in the directing category again you know yeah so. well uh the gif of natalie portman at last year's globes uh, introducing the all male all male nominees has already <laughs> made the rounds um yeah but, and like i'm not sure i am so surprised by this like it was already looking like a kind of male heavy field i think greta gerwig was the one big hope to break through there um but it's definitely depressing given how many like prominent well-reviewed like movies nominated in other categories are are directed by women this year. Well, and it does make me question my assumption. My assumption is that this is not exactly like a double blind ballot or anything and that these guys sit in a room and kind of think like, what's good for the Hollywood Foreign Press Association and the Golden Globes? Um, And if that's the case, they should have... They should have figured out a way to give a nomination to a female director. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just like there's a lot of very, very good films this year directed by women, like enough already. You know, it should, I just think it should be seen as as a failure to not do that. Uh, and if they if they care about, you know, the what this all looks like, they should fix it. Yeah, and I think you can count on the Oscars to maybe think a little bit more about what that looks like. Like the Hollywood Foreign Press, like you know, both to their benefit and to their um, to their downfall, like don't really report to anybody else. But the Oscars clearly care about their legacy and about diversifying and fixing these things. So if you wind up with an all male director nominee at the Oscars, I think you're going to hear a lot about that, and it's right, seeming kind of likely. Well, but my point is that the Oscars, you have. I don't think they have the same control, right? If you you've got thousands of members voting, and they may vote strategically, mm. but the outcome mm-hmm. is the outcome. Uh, yeah. Whereas I, I imagine I don't know. Maybe one of our listeners knows and can tell us. But I kind of assume the Globes, like somebody at the Globes, is just like, well, this is what we want to happen. I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. It's a, such a small group. That, you know, they like the director's branch is going to be who nominates the directors. And that's not the thousands of Academy members, but it's more than like what the 80 members of the Hollywood Foreign Press. That, you're right. Thank you. Good yeah. Point. You, you, you would think that they would have the control there, though, Mike. And I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I have perhaps a dim-witted question, which is um, <laughs> the uh, the farewell is nominated in, in the foreign language category, but Katie, you and I, as as voting members of a critics critic body, got um, an email from A24 
saying very clearly, we are submitting this in comedy, not in foreign language. And I know other critics associations got the same email. So I'm curious if, if, you know, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association got that email and or, you know, if the rules are different, if it doesn't matter, you know, like, I'm, I'm just curious about the farewell being in that category rather than in um, another category. I have, so, I have no idea. It's yeah. very confusing to me. It's not in a foreign language, though. I mean, it's p- partially. parts of it are. Yeah. yeah. And it's an American film, which I think might be like it's not eligible for the foreign language Oscar, obviously, because it's not it was made in America. Um, so, yeah, it, it kind of straddles the line and maybe tells you something about kind of the, the foreign language category and how it doesn't quite fit our more global way of filmmaking now. Um, also, what was confusing to, to go back to the Critics' Choice nominations for a second is that the two popes. Um, is competing as original screenplay this year, even though it's based on a play that Anthony McCartan wrote and it was nominated an adapted screenplay of Critics' Choice. That's that's another point of confusion that I can't figure out. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> How about Jojo <laughs> Rabbit? Uh, it's not a surprise, but I, I mentioned earlier Once Upon a Time in Hollywood being a Best Picture threat. Um, but A.O. Scott over the weekend, the New York Times film critic, acknowledging that he's not good at or doesn't isn't into Oscar predictions, but he just said, you know, I have a feeling Jojo Rabbit could be the green book of 2020 and, you know, uh, yeah. figure into awards a lot more than people expect. And there it is. It's just sitting there. And the, and the nomination, I guess, for... Um, for uh, the young actor in it. Roman Griffin Davis. Roman Griffin Davis. That's a surprise, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, the yeah. um, that category, the because uh, that, that's actor in a comedy, right? Um, I yeah. think the big slot that he took there was from uh, Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems. Right, and right, the, like, right. And like, as someone who like likes Uncut Gems fine, but doesn't feel the like passionate love that so many people do, I still feel like that movie is more alienating than a lot of people are giving it credit for. Um, and we've talked a lot about how Best Actor is really competitive and for the Oscars, because it's all just one category, like Adam Sandler still has a, a tough position. Um, I don't know. I would be surprised if like, like the SAG nominations are out later this week. I would be surprised surprised if Roman Griffin Davis showed up there instead of Sandler. But uh, yeah, that is definitely a little bit surprising in that admittedly weird category. Golden Globes likes young talent. This is a thing we know about them. So, you know, it's usually uh, TV ingenues, but you know, hey, why not? Why not uh, this young man? Speaking of of like young talent, so excited to see Beanie Feldstein in there for Booksmart. Yeah. Um, That makes me really happy. You can take some credit for that one too. Sure, I'll do a half lap for that because I also (laughs) thought maybe Caitlin Deaver would get in, but she got in for TV. So, hey, both Booksmart ladies are in there somewhere. Uh, So good on them. I think the actress in a comedy category is the the most insane, like in the way that we expect for the Golden Globes to be out there. Like the nomination for Kate Blanchett and Where'd You Go, Bernadette made me truly laugh out loud as I was listening to the nominations. <laughs> I know. You just go, well, okay. That's, that's <laughs> sort of my reaction to that. Sure, fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that category was hard to predict anyway because the like so many of the movies were going drama, um, but I definitely did not see that coming. No, uh, I, I predicted. I wrote the predictions for that category. I did not predict Kate Blanchett, but I'm not kicking myself this morning for missing that one. <laughs> Though I, I think she might have been on some of the Gold Derby rankings, like lower down, perhaps. So I don't know. It's it's interesting to see. Is there any? Is there anything like other than that Jojo Rabbit narrative? Is there any uh, like Oscar narrative that seems to be cementing more with these? I mean, I I, I was talking to you last week, uh, Katie, about what I'm calling. Um, a Lupita surge, but then like not here, you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, do we just laugh and enjoy and embrace the Golden Globes or do we take seriously some of the narratives of who's missing and who's not, you know? 
Oh, it's always, I mean, the thing with Lupita and the Best Actress race, um, I think Mark Harris summed this up really well a couple weeks ago, kind of writing about how there's these four white actresses who are presumed to have slots in the race. It's um, Renee Zellweger, who's the front runner, Charlize Theron, Saoirse Ronan, um, I'm forgetting the fourth one. Scarlett Johansson. Oh, Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story. Um, and then there's uh, a group of actresses of color all, uh, in theory, competing for the fifth slot. You've got um, Lupita Nyong'o, Cynthia Erivo, Alfre Woodard, and Aquafina, who got nominated in comedy for The Farewell. Um, and Lupita winning in the New York Film Critics Circle last week is like, okay, maybe she's the one who's going to like come in there. And now Cynthia Revo gets nominated alongside those same four white actresses. We should point um, out that Mark was saying it should not be this way. Yes, yeah. He was pointing out that that is, seems to be the received wisdom that does not by any means have to actually happen. Yes. Um, and I think these nominations prove that he is right to point out that that's the narrative and um, hopefully step in and point out that it doesn't have to be that way. Um, but I don't know that these Globes nominations make it feel like, okay, it's Lupita versus Cynthia Revo for that fifth slot, which is just such a lame way to think about it. Yeah. I mean, I think if you, if you think about people who are likely to win, most of them are, are represented in these categories. Right. Um, and uh, like if you look at supporting slightly weird um, groups, but on the other hand, like there's uh, Laura Dern and Jennifer Lopez and there's uh, Brad Pitt and, you know, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, which <laughs> take your pick. Um, yeah. So, you know, I do think like a, a snub for someone who's considered a pretty likely winner contender versus somebody who's like seen as a pretty likely nominee can be meaningful just because it makes everybody sort of question what they're doing. So I don't know that there's any major sort of questioning going on here saying like, oh, um, I guess Renee Zellweger doesn't really have a chance of winning like she's here, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Or, or Joaquin Phoenix and Adam Driver are both here. Yeah, all the big deals um, got in there. Yeah. Uh, well, Mike, you watched Richard Jewell last night. What do you make of this Kathy Bates surge that we seem to be seeing? I, I mean, she's very, very good. Um in the film. And, uh, I think Paul Walter Hauser is incredible in the film. Uh, and you know, you previously had seen him play these kind of smaller supporting roles in, in black Klansman or I, Tanya, And there wasn't much to suggest that this guy would be the lead in a film and he's incredible, but he's a kind of, you know, he's a newcomer. Uh, people still don't know his name. The movie's just coming out now, um, or just getting seen now. So I imagine that he's probably just going to get missed because that, race has already kind of um, congealed, but and yeah. <laughs> Kathy, whereas uh, Kathy Bates is, you know, somebody that everybody knows is great and she's incredible. And she has one of those scenes, um, you know, not to spoil it, but she has a scene uh, where you're watching it and you go, oh, here, this, she's going to get a nomination. She could easily get a nomination for this, uh, but she's fantastic throughout. Um, so yeah, not, not surprising at all, really. I mean, she's, I call, she's awesome. Yeah. I call those scenes Hogan moments um, in my head when they show <laughs> yeah. up. I was like, there it is, the Hogan moment. Yeah, well, you know uh, the one I'm talking about because you saw it, right? <laughs> uh, yes, I do. I uh, do. Yeah. 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 So, um, so, I mean, I, I think it's, again, like it's nice to see the wealth get spread around beyond the, the kind of um, the Netflix thing we discussed at first. And, and I think that it would be nice for that movie to be – it's not a perfect movie, but I'm, um, I, I am, you know – enthusiastic about it in part because it's based on Marie Brenner's um, article, longtime Vanity Fair uh, writer and edited by my uh, boss and mentor, Wayne Lawson. We, we all did a friends and family screening last night. So, um, so it's nice for me to see this nomination. 
Um, I, I, in that same category, I'm actually happy to see Annette Benning in there because um, I really liked the report a lot, and I really liked her performance of uh, my Senator Diane Feinstein in that, in that, that it wasn't like, it's one of those good performances that is recognizably like chameleonic, but like not, it doesn't seem like an impression necessarily. And I just thought she really humanized uh, that role a lot. So yeah, I've um, been wondering about the report because it feels like the other Adam Driver movie that yeah, is right. like having a hard time in the wake of marriage story, but it's nice to see it pop up here. Cause I do think it's a really good and worthy movie. I'd love to see a screenplay nomination for it. So hopefully that brings some visibility to the movie as a whole. Absolutely. And I know I, I like to, to more seriously consider your two popes, uh, Katie, I had heard that they were, that that campaign was like extremely distressed by how they were being very overlooked by the critics, uh, association. And, and like, there's a, there's a problem around it, which is like the sexiest quote unquote aspect of the two popes are your leads, Jonathan Price and Anthony Hopkins. Right. And Anthony Hopkins is like, you know, an elder statesman doesn't really like do a lot of promo. Like he's a great follow on Twitter but he's not like out there in the chat shows or whatever, like doing Kimmel or whatever. Um, And then Jonathan Price, they believe is in a show on Broadway right now. Um, And, and so can also not campaign. And so although, then you, you although yes. he's in many places, including on our podcast next week. So stay I tuned mean, for that. <laughs> only the cream of the crop will Jonathan right. Price uh, join. But, um, but yeah, so he's that, not able to like move to Los Angeles the way a lot of people do during awards campaigns. Right. So that just puts the two popes at a disadvantage. And so I think, I think they were, I think if they got shut out of the globes that that campaign would be like dead in the water. And the fact that they've showed up in a meaningful way mm. here, um, you know, means, something for them i'm still hopeful for us like a screenplay award for them i think that would be good so yeah i mean uh, screenplay uh, at the globes is kind of stealthily the most competitive because it's not split into adapted and um original the way that the oscars do so you get a sense of like what really does have a lot of passion behind it i loved seeing parasite show up in there yes. I was kind of i was kind of down on parasites prospects at the globes just because they don't tend to really go for foreign films as much as the oscars do so i didn't think bonju ho would get in for director um but they they really went for it um so yeah i got Parasite in there alongside Marriage Story, Two Popes, Hollywood, and The Irishman. Again, a big Netflix domination. Um, I mean, in those, like, aside from Two Popes, which I think is definitely in there, like, those are our best, big Best Picture contenders, I think, at this point. Um, okay, let's go over to television, which, again, is uh, traditionally hard to predict. And, hey, the Kaminsky Method made a big showing. Um, but, Joanna, you wrote for our Snubs and Surprises roundup about uh, Game of Thrones, its last gasp at the Globes. Uh, didn't turn out so well. No, I mean, and I think once again, that's that's the Globes ever, especially the TV arm of the Globes, uh, their constant fascination with the new. Um, and so they don't really do that whole like, oh, it's your final season. Let's really send you out with a bang. They're like, what's what's coming up? What's fresh? What's exciting? <laughs> what's replaced uh, you already? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so Thrones got a single solitary nomination for Kit Harrington, which I think is bananas. And that's not really a knock on Kit, who like I think did have his best season of the entire run. Of Game of Thrones. It's just like of all the of all the performances, I wouldn't have put Kit as the top of my list of of who would get in there over like Peter Dinklage or any of the women. Um, but that being said, the the actress categories are really stacked this year because we have a lot of female led prestige dramas, uh, you know, kicking around. We've got Morning Show, Big Little Lies, or uh, Killing Eve. Like all this stuff is is going on right now, and and so there's no room for the queens of Westeros. But yeah, Kit Harrington being the single Thrones nominee is, I think, an interesting uh, little story this morning. 
And presumably he won't win. I haven't looked at the, like, he might get beaten by any number of people like Billy Porter or Brian Cox. Um, so he'll just kind of be there as this weird uh, holdover from Thrones. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me. Um, and yeah, and then Brian Cox getting, so Brian Cox and Kieran Culkin are the two uh, performers nominated from Succession, The you know, a new kid on the block. But a lot of people are really, uh, you know, irritated this morning that Jeremy Strong isn't in there. Like, And Jeremy Strong, uh, who is so tremendous on that show, like I feel like nominating Brian Cox and Kieran Culkin, both fantastic on the show, is kind of a move you make if you don't watch Succession, but you know Succession <laughs> is a show that people care about, and you're like, oh yeah, okay, um, oh, Brian Cox and the Culkin kid, the middle Culkin kid, sure, I'll nominate them, but like, if you watch the show, there's no way you don't nominate Jeremy Strong over those two, so it's, uh, it's a Little, I, it's don't a fascinating know, I don't know about okay. that. I don't know okay. if I would agree with that. I, the problem okay. for me is there's so many, you know, but then I'm just like, what about Shiv? Well, for, you know, what yeah. about Tom? What about Cousin Greg? Yeah. There's just too many good um, good performances on the show. But uh, but Kieran Culkin is, I mean, maybe it's like, you know, not the most refined pleasure, but the pleasure of every single second he's on screen is is extreme. I love Kieran Culkin and I yeah. love Brian Cox and I think they're tremendous. I'm not, I'm not like knocking them getting nominated. No, I'm no, just I like understand. what Jeremy Strong does with a glance is like ridiculous. So, but you're right. I mean, there's any number of, of people where like, can, can we just nominate the whole, they don't have an ensemble award, award at the Globes that I feel like they really should because that's yeah. like a, that's a, that, that would be a very Globes friendly thing to do. An ensemble Oh, that's award. something that we can also look forward to at the SAG Awards later yes. this week where yeah. they have an ensemble award. And also we should remember that the succession got zero acting nominations at the Emmys, which was so infuriating. So at least we've made That's up a, yeah. for mistakes This is an improvement. Yeah. Oh, and same with nominating Andrew Scott for Fleabag, uh, which is, just comes as this relief for, you know, how instrumental he is to that show. Um, and he he's in the supporting category in television, which they mash everybody together um, the same way they do in movies. So it's like, oh, yeah, the same way they do in movies. Um, so it's just kind of this hilarious lineup of like Andrew Scott for Fleabag, Alan Arkin for The Kaminsky Method, Kieran Culkin, Stellan Skarsgård for Chernobyl, and Henry Winkler for Barry. Like, how in the world do you stack those performances <laughs> next to each other? I have no idea. Yeah, really. <laughs> The other TV show that showed up, um, you know, th that I think has a lot to do with like star power more than it does like critical uh, claim is The Politician on Netflix, which is, you know, the big, the big, you know, Ryan Murphy, Ben Platt, Gwyneth Paltrow sort of thing that just really came and went. Like Netflix, I think Netflix spent as much on The Politician as they did on season three of The Crown. I think that's the stat. And it just made not a single impact really when it when it debuted. Um, but here it is at the Globes, and that is a classic Globes move, I think, for that show. So, I love seeing Olivia Coleman for The Crown. She's so good. Me too. And, and Helena Bonham Carter and Tobias Menzies. They uh, yes. they went as hard for The Crown as you would maybe hope for. Yeah. I love seeing Kirsten Dunst for On Becoming a God in Central Florida. That is yeah. like that is a show that really flew under the radar. She is tremendous on that show. So she's not going to probably win against like Natasha Leone, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and Rachel Brosnahan. But um, I'm really excited to see her in there. So. But she might, because it's the Globes, because you never yeah, know. That's true. Uh, how about the reminder that Mr. Robot's still on, where uh, Rami Malek shows up for actor in a drama series? It's true. He's like, right. you know, from, maybe from win to win at the Globes, Bohemian Rhapsody, then Mr. Robot. So you never know. Um, I think that might that might be enough for our Globes conversation. As I keep mentioning, the SAG Awards are also coming later this week. There's also a bunch of critics prizes that we um, will have another episode this week. So we'll have plenty of time to get into all of that. Um, so look forward to it. Um, any other final Globes thoughts? Uh, do you guys want to leave for now? Yeah, I do want to ask one final question. 
if you had to sing one of the nominated songs at karaoke, <laughs> would it be Beautiful Ghosts from Cats, I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocketman, Into the Unknown from Frozen 2, Spirit from The Lion King, or Stand Up from Harriet? Mike Hogan? It would be none. It would be an unnominated um, Being Alive from Company. I've been practicing uh. it for months, actually. Yeah. It showed up on and my, not eligible, and yet. It showed up on my Spotify most listened to songs of the year. Um, oh, so. That makes me so happy, Mike. Do you, do you do what Adam Driver does and you do all the other parts? You're like, uh, you know, I have stay with this, it, Bobby. I can't keep quite going, keep going. achieve that level of mastery. That's, that's It's incredible. I'm watching it again. I, I didn't really know the song. I had seen that the the most recent production 10 years ago or whatever and so kind of recognized the song when he sang it in the movie and since then I now know it by heart and so it's amazing to watch it again and watch him do all the voices of the other characters anyway that's my favorite musical moment and nothing will change it it is um I'm not kidding you my favorite song from my favorite musical and so I'm really happy that it's your most listened song uh, on Spotify. <laughs> Katie Katie what which which uh, nominated song would you sing at karaoke? Well, I should mention first that uh, you did mention Cats and I mentioned at the beginning but we should note that Cats got nominated for nothing but song uh and uh that seems weird and maybe not a great sign for Cats but also you know, it's cats. Um, I would pick uh, the Rocketman song. I think it's that's the easiest. Like that seems kind of like a, it's not like Elton hitting all the high notes anymore. So I feel like I could handle it without embarrassing myself too much. All right. I would definitely do Into the Unknown from Frozen 2, but I would do the Panic at the Disco version, not the Dana Menzel. <laughs> that's what I would difference? do. Uh, no key difference. Just like more rollicking guitars, I think. Uh, so that's what I would do. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, that one I know that I would whiff all the high notes and uh, I don't want to put myself up to that kind of scrutiny. And Richard, obviously, I'm going to answer for Richard, would obviously do Beautiful Ghost from Cats. So. Yeah, well, he wrote it. So yeah, there congratulations you go. to Richard on his Golden Globe nomination. <laughs> um, all right. Well, as mentioned, we'll be back again later this week with another episode because we have so much to talk about this time of year. Um, but in the meantime, you can find us at VanityFair.com where we have lots of articles about the Golden Globes uh, to parse all of this and more. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at LittleGoldMen where we love hearing from you. Uh, and you can find us on our own. I'm at Katie Rich and Mike. Mike underscore Hogan. And Joanna. Joe wrote this. This week's episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs. And this week's award for what we call Jonathan Price when we think no one's listening goes to Joanna Robinson. The sexiest aspect of the two popes 